Welcome to another episode of Bubba the Hunter, episode three. Coming at you again with uh, your hosts, Rob and Ryan. We got some solid entertaining Bubba topics to cover in this episode, I think, including some Bubba shout outs. And, you know, here at Bubba the Hunter, we have one serious recognition to honor on uh, what we're going to call a Real American Hero segment. So, uh, Ryan, I know that one would be special to you as uh, we're just patriotic Americans and to uh, all the Bubba listeners out there, too. So looking forward to that one. So, uh, Ryan, episode three. Episode three. I mean... I can't believe we're already two down and one more. We're at third one, so that's good. People call me Bubba. Hey, it's time for it's some like Bubba shout-outs. Can you believe that? Pretty cool. We had a download in Germany. Which, yeah. Um, How about that? Hopefully, uh, if you're listening in Germany, tell your friends. We need more European shout-outs. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and we're starting to cover a few states here with uh, some listeners there. Tennessee, Texas, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Virginia. Uh, one particular download in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. So there's some uh, Bubba shout outs right there. Yeah, so for you guys out there listening, let us know what you think, what we wanted, what we can do better. Um, we may not do it, but uh, we'll at least listen to what you have to say. So make sure to give us some feedback. Um, check out... Uh, you know, Rob and I have a I have another podcast, and Rob's been kind of behind the scenes on. But check some of that out, uh, the Ryan Fuhr podcast. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Cool guest on there, and probably what we'll be doing is uh, a, a lot of we'll go through and highlight some of the guests that we've had on the RFP show and bring them over to the Bubba. Um, Ryan Fuhr podcast has more of a serious tone to it, I guess, if you were to label it, wouldn't you say, Rob? Yeah, I would, and, and yeah. some good solid content too. Yeah, but it's more, you know, some of my background in wildlife biology and conservation and habitat and et cetera, et cetera. But uh, still some just good old hunting talk, too. So check that out. Uh, Leave us messages on both, if you will. Follow us on both. But, man, we really want to get our listeners to be engaged and more interactive. Um, You know, I think I do my best work when somebody's like almost telling me, you know, hey, this is what I need you to talk about because I can talk about those topics to know it. Probably. <laughs> yeah, just a little poke here and there. Yeah, give me a poke, man. Yeah. Me, tell me, lead me down that road, poke me in the belly and say, hey, this is what I want to, you know, there's a question I have for you. Maybe it's archery related. I have a long history with that, which we're going to talk about a little bit of archery on, on this upcoming Bubba. Um, uh, definitely hunting related, uh, fishing related. You know, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to cast that one off the Rob yeah absolutely um but anything raising the kids in the outdoors rob and i both have kids uh we spend a lot of time in the outdoor with our young children camping hiking uh biking fishing hunting everything so you know hit us up let us know what's going on where you're from what you're doing what you want to see more of hear more of and that's what we're going to try to do yeah, absolutely. And you can, uh, Bubba at BubbaTheHunter.com, shoot an email or, hey, a listener message, go out to anchor.fm, Bubba the Hunter. Uh, I'll put the links down in there and the uh, social media spots and a uh, voice message. Yeah, when we get our first one. Yeah, anchor.fm uh, and forward slash Bubba the Hunter. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, Good deal. Rob, tell us about the Bubba American Hero. Yeah, absolutely, Ryan. Time to recognize an American hero. I hope you all enjoy. 
A moment to honor a real American hero. Just like many of our listeners, we are unapologetic patriotic Americans. And given the date of this recording, March 4th, 2022, it is fitting that we remember the 20-year anniversary of a battle that occurred on a mountain ridgetop in Afghanistan. The ridgetop, now known as Roberts Ridge, was a location where Master Sergeant John Allen Chapman showed the world the hero he was born to be. Master Sergeant Chapman is credited with saving an entire rescue team with his extraordinary heroism, superb airmanship, aggressiveness in the face of the enemy, and a dedication of service to his country as he gave his life for the United States of America and our enduring freedom. For this unwavering heroism, Master Sergeant John Allen Chapman, a combat controller in the United States Air Force, was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor on August 22, 2018. For his heroic actions on that tragic day, he was the first airman to receive the Medal of Honor since Vietnam War. You see, Master Sergeant Chapman had some ties to Western PA, just as Ryan and I do. Master Sergeant Chapman met his future wife Valerie in her hometown of Wimber, Pennsylvania. They married in 1992 and had two daughters. Chapman is buried at St. Mary's Byzantine Catholic Church Cemetery in Wimber, Pennsylvania. Miss Valerie and family, we at Bubba the Hunter stand with you today to honor a real American hero and Master Sergeant John Chapman. We thank you for your service, Valerie, and your family's sacrifice to our great country and the greatest country in the world. We are forever indebted. Thank you. Yeah, Medal of Honor recipient, man, that's uh, that's pretty cool. You know, and we take for granted, honestly, so many different times. I just honestly, last night was watching kind of like into uh, airplanes and and uh, warships and stuff like that. So you know, your television, these smart TVs now, they know what you watch, so they keep feeding you that stuff. And the mm. show came up yeah. like. Uh, you know, planes of our military or something or other. But anyway, I was watching a, a show last night, just last night on the Smithsonian Channel about F-15 fighter jets and what they're capable of and everything. And I mean, just what they're capable of is one thing, right? But the pilots that fly those, these U.S. Air Force pilots, and one of the comments I made to my wife, I said, I wonder what they make per year, you know? And yeah, I can guess, but I don't know. But I can guarantee you, not enough. It's not enough, and it's you know what it kind of bothers me. And I'm not stepping on toes, but I get I get uh, I get turned off by the fact when you know you get some of these professional athletes holding out for money and and so forth. And listen, I'm a sports fan, um, and I believe in the the you know this country and our whole system on how it works and, you know, with football, you know, baseball, hockey, whatever, it, it's supply and demand. I mean, we keep paying the prices that these owners and teams are charging and therefore the entertainment they can bring us is going to keep going up. Uh, you know, and it's all, you know, regulated by the price they pay. So, but with that being said, uh, whenever they start pulling these, you know, I'm holding out for more money, man, it turns me off real fast. And then, you know, I watched or you read the story about uh, Master Sergeant John Chapman, you know, being a Medal of Honor recipient and, you know, what these guys make a year flying F-15 fighter jets into combat, you know, enemy territory and getting into these dogfights and just, I mean, man, I, you know, sometimes I really think we as a society have our perspectives a little bit out of order. But 
I'm not going to fix it. I, I guess all I can do is speak about it a little bit, but it never hurts to uh, recognize those guys and at least understand them for what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm just glad that we have this platform here, Ryan, uh, Bubba the Hunter podcast, and we can just take a moment here and there. And especially uh, it's been 20 years since that that uh, that battle. And, uh, you know, just to have a, a short, serious moment for recognition of uh, Master Sergeant John Chapman. Good deal. Time for some Bubba news. So that brings us up to a little bit of new topics. I found this one like interesting. Um, you, you know, Japan, uh, what are Japan bubbas, you know, and, and they're into bass fishing now, it looks like. Banding ducks and bass fishing. Yeah, for yeah. sure. You know, <laughs> bass fishing is a big thing over there. And uh, I know in uh, episode two, we talked about that banded duck that was uh, went how many miles, but uh, went to the state of Washington, Ryan. Yeah, 5,200 miles or 5,600 miles. Something, something like that. Yeah. But could you believe I found a, this thing on the web? I found this is not a, it's not out of the ordinary. It's, it's a rare occurrence, but it's not, it's happened before. In fact, there was a banded duck that was banded in Japan that was killed in the Mississippi Delta back in 2008. So wow. uh, yeah. that's just, I mean, I had no idea. I was so naive to the, the topic, but all the way there. So. Well, well, that's interesting. Yeah, that is that is very interesting. And a long flight, and man, talk about the guy that got that band right. Like that's yeah, cool. That's yeah, definitely sure. a, that's definitely a cool conversation piece. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, for sure. I'd I'd love to just get a band, any band, right? I've any ducks that I've uh, harvested. I've never got any bands, but one day I was, maybe. I was with a, a group of guys, and we were goose hunting, and we shot a banded goose. We don't really know who killed it. Um, but anyway, it was like, you know, I wasn't there. I wasn't fighting over it, but some of the, those other guys, they were uh, more into waterfowl hunting than I was. And um, they, you know, they were like, oh, you know, so they, they ended up deciding that they were going to, two guys ended up deciding that they were going to keep the band six months of the year apiece. But anyway, <laughs> you know, you, you turn the band in or you call the number and you give them the data off of it and they tell you where it was banded. And it was banded like two months before on the same pond. We oh. <laughs> what a letdown. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. Like after they found that out, they weren't too worried about whose mantle the band sat on. Yeah. I, I bet it doesn't even uh, go back and forth every six months now. Right. <laughs> yeah. I guess you guys didn't put your names in a hat like the, the folks did, the Bubba's did out in Washington. No, right. With that right. one. Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but you know, waterfowl hunting, man, that's, that's one of those things I've done it a little bit. I've not done it a lot, but I can tell you this, I've done it in Pennsylvania and you know, we do it like, I guess there's a couple ways of doing it. Like, and I call the way I do it in Pennsylvania is the poor man's way. Right. Like we just kind of in goose season, we would, I had a friend named goose. Um, his <laughs> nickname was goose. He, he ended up passing away, but we called him goose because that's all he did was chase geese around. And you know, he would drive around looking out the window, looking, finding these geese to, you know, land in the field to feed. And then we would get there the next morning and set up and wait on them type of deal. And then we would jump shoot ducks off of like, uh, creeks you know they wood ducks and and such and when i was younger that was a lot of fun um and then in some of my travels with the uh, qdma back in the day it took me all over the country and i met some real serious waterfowlers in the south i mean 
they would, you know, some landowners down there, I mean, literally hundreds, if not, you know, thousands of acres. And, you know, they're as serious about their habitat. Duck hunters are serious about their habitat as whitetail hunters, the real serious ones. And what they would do is they would build these fields and they would flood them, you know, right? So a certain time of the year when the ducks are are flying and season's in, right, you kind of open up the levee and you flood your 200 acre rice field. So it's rice growing or most cases rice, but some other instances, there were some other specific feed that they had planted and then they would flood it you know, just enough for a duck to land on and, you know, then they could eat the food that's in there and then their blinds were set up accordingly. And I had been to a couple of those, uh, one in Louisiana and one in, I think it was in, it was a Northern Georgia, uh, plantations and man, oh days. I mean, wow. Like a whole different level. Again, you know, there's the poor way, the way I did it, where, you know, basically stomping around in a muddy Creek, jumping a wood duck. And then that way, like, holy smokes. I mean, the money they had tied up a in the land in the food and then in building these levees that would flood these fields. Uh, it just makes you like, wow, this is, Oh, I know for sure. Real deal, they- man. The but, amount of money that they spend in pumping the water in there. Pumping the water, yeah. It you know, just, in Duck Dynasty, I can remember them talking about their fuel bill one time, you know, and uh, oh, yeah, how definitely. much they spend to put water. Because, hey, you need the water. You you want the ducks? You got to have the water, the habitat there. So, yeah. yeah. yeah that's pretty cool. You know, I met uh, Willie from Duck Dynasty back in those days. I actually have a picture. Maybe we could share it up, but, uh, Willie and I. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, really cool dude, man. Um you know, really down to earth that, that whole family, like it was, you know, sometimes you meet those I don't know, celebrities, I guess, or quote unquote celebrities, and they're a little different off camera than they are on. And, uh, those guys weren't at all. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty fun hanging out. I, I hung out with Willie and, uh, can't remember his cousin's name, the, uh, heavy set one that was in the duck call room, uh, man, drawing a blank. Mm. Yeah. It's been a while since I watched the show. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, yeah, just good dudes. Cool. Yeah. But anyway, back to that yeah. duck hunt, man. That, yeah. You know, we should do more of that. I, we should uh, – uh, duck hunting's fun. Like I said, duck duck meat is really good and duck fat rolls, baby. So, Duck like, fat rolls. Yeah. Yeah, start cooking with your duck fat. Didn't you say like in right. a text or you said you Googled up, you, you kind of thought I was lying to you. Oh, and, I did. I've never heard of that. But yeah, <laughs> heck, you can go out to Amazon and uh, just search for duck fat. And boy, you get all kinds of different options. Apparently, yeah, coming from France is a good place wrong, to man. get duck Come fat. On. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, you know. But Cook with the duck fat. Hey, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try get some. So you apparently don't have any left. I do yeah. not. No, no. Okay. I do have some bear fat in my freezer. In my freezer. Yeah. Nice. Some bear grease. Bear grease, man. Yeah. It's another yeah. good one. Yeah. Hey, the other thing, it's a random thought here. You got some uh, beaver this year, right? I do. And you yeah. still got, we, we got a, uh, do you have, what's your plans for that? Yeah. So um, I've got, I've got a, a, an assortment of wild game in my one freezer and uh, so we're remodeling our kitchen right now. Oh, it's and, making um, me hungry talking about that. Uh, yeah. So I don't have countertops. Like we're, we're basically seven weeks uh, going on week number seven, living out of a microwave type. Oh, thing. your poor wife. Yeah. Right. So 
my plan is once the kitchen, the, this remodel is done, which we're now we're just waiting on countertops and a few other odds and ends, but it'll be a couple weeks yet. Then I plan on, I'm going to put together probably with my brother-in-law, who's the executive chef. Um, mm. We're probably going to, we're going to, we're going to cook a bunch of wild game up here. We got, I got, you know, just a hodgepodge of stuff in my freezer from the season, from small game, the big game, uh, you know, the beaver, squirrel, turkey, obviously deer. Um, I think there's some uh, wild boar. Yeah, definitely with some wild boar. I think one of my buddies, he was, he went to Texas and shot axis deer. I have some of that. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So I think I'm just going to put together a, a wild game night or something and that will be good, but we're going to do some good stuff. So, and that's going to be more coming up, more content driven stuff as we move on with Bubba. But uh, like I mentioned, my brother-in-law is an executive chef, a uh, really like, high end chef and can do some crazy goods. He can make anything taste good, but man, some of the stuff he does with wild game and the sauces, and it, it's really turned me on to, uh, obviously hunting, but I mean, like I really enjoy it. There's that whole other level to it now. Like it's, the, to, the, the figuring out the hunt from, you know, hanging a stand or calling a gobbler or, you know, what have you. But now there's this whole, this whole other world of, of preparing and, and eating and sharing the meal with your friends and how good it can be. Um, and he, he's done a really good job of kind of mentoring me uh, and taking me to, uh, you know, really, I've really enjoyed that. Like I'm really into cookbooks now. I find myself ordering different cookbooks on, on Amazon which another side topic, but I just got another one called uh, it's over the fire cooking. Uh, there's this dude out there. I think you can search him up on Instagram over the fire and um, he cooks everything over fire, right? Like simply put, and <clears throat> you know, there's something about those primitive ways anymore that really turn me on. Like we get, it's easy to get caught up in the sophistication of a kitchen. Like, trust me, I can tell you how much this stuff costs. But, you know, <laughs> a little bit of cast iron and, you know, some some hickory logs and, man, you're you're in business, right? And that, that whole romance is just like hunting, if you ask me. Like, I'm more into the romance of figuring out a big old whitetail buck just as into it than I am shooting an arrow through it. So, like uh, with the food preparation and the food cooking, that whole romance that goes into cooking is, is it's intriguing because it's, it's a lot more than just throwing heat to a piece of meat. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, uh, and that, this over to fire stuff has really intrigued me, like pretty cool stuff. So probably get into more of that too, as time goes on. Yeah, absolutely. Along with wild game, getting some good fillets on there, you know, uh, some, uh, and snakehead. Good eating. Oh yeah, eating. which we got to get it. We got to get some um, snakehead in the cooler. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's on. Uh, get out, get some warmer temps here in the spring. Definitely, I plan on definitely hitting that. So, mm-hmm. hey, that'd be sounds like one good feast coming up here. Yeah, making me hungry. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know one one of the things that we 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 have on the list here to talk about, and you know, one it's part of my wheelhouse in the background is archery. Um, but so. If, if some of the listeners out there haven't saw, and Matt has a pretty good following in the archery world, but if you're not from the archery world, if you're just a bow hunter, this guy named Matt Stutzman, um, he goes by the, the, the handle of the armless archer, and he does that for very good reason. He is an archer who shoots a vertical bow, not a mechanicalized bow, and he shoots it with a mouth tab and his foot. 
Um, so if you can, if you've not looked him up on Instagram or social media or just Google, uh, just picture this dude uh, drawing his bow back with a mouth tab and basically puts the riser and the handle of the bow between a couple toes on, you know, the big toe and the next toe in whatever, you know, that digit's called. Just amazing. And yeah. He, wow. just, he aims the bow and, and lets it go with his mouth. Um, and, and he just won what's, what the, the title was the gold crown. Um, you know, he's won multiple world championships over the years and he just finally won the gold crown, which is a conglomerate of different uh, titles. So, I mean, you know, man, back to, <laughs> yeah, this is a good topic for Bubba down the road, but we'll touch on a little bit, you know, the crossbows belong in bow season. And oh, here we go. And man, You're I gonna, can go on and on. I'm a, you're going to ruffle some feathers I'm there. I'm going to ruffle some feathers, which listen, don't listen to this show. If you don't want your feathers ruffled, <laughs> that's for sure. Bit. And trust me, I'm not the host because you know, I'm just not one of those guys where I think we should all get along. Like, that's where in history did everybody just get along? Yeah, and for sure. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying we should all be out there fighting each other, but I also, I, I, I firmly believe that we should, everything deserves to, to be questioned, right? Like, at least question. Wait a minute. Just, you know, this is, I have to scratch my head on this one. Help me with this. You know, let's. Oh, no, I totally with you there. Everything yeah. needs and, to be uh, questioned. I've gotten just don't question pretty, science and COVID. Yeah, like, yeah, aside from the science of COVID, right, yeah. but, but talking about archery, like I can speak to that on that topic to, to the nth degree. And I also am level-headed enough to, to understand, you know, uh, the whole thing, what's going on. And look, I get it from a, a opportuni- opportunistic standpoint, a crossbow allows more people to, to enter the woods. I'm not arguing it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. But I I also have to like, I'm questioning a little bit because, and I'm here. I am down this rabbit hole, but I know some people are, you know, will probably be interested to hear my, maybe we might not be able to get out of this rabbit hole though. Right. uh, All right. I mean, so from my, here, here's what I fear, right? Technology. And I, I, I've written a few articles on technology and maybe we'll post some of those, but technology in the outdoor world is just advanced so much over time that, I mean, man, you know, from, uh, range finding sites on vertical bows, uh, you know, you name it. We have a thousand yard rifles out of the box. I mean, infrared scopes, blah, 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 you name it. And I get it. That's the technology is constantly advancing. That's what makes this world go around. Right. But at some point, again, you know, is it just about being a successful hunter? So 10 years ago when I, I owned an archery shop and a little over 12 years ago now, and I sold Excalibur, I sold, um, Barnett's, I sold 10 points. I think I had four different lines. I'm missing one. But regardless, I mean, listen, and I shot all of them. At the same time, I happened to be a nationally ranked champion archer. So we at one point, we actually set up an Excalibur crossbow that I remember shot 300 feet per second in my indoor range. And my buddy shot it off of sandbags, and I shot my vertical bow for score 20 yards on a Vegas face, and I beat him by three points. They were they were good bows, but I mean, they didn't shoot lights out. They didn't, you know, I mean, they were good bows, but at 20 yards indoor, I could beat it. Um, now, you know, you know, maybe that we shot again, it beat me type of deal. I mean, they shot very well. 
not taking anything away from the weapon. But now, fast forward 10, 12 years, we got these bows. I just read an article this morning. Actually, it wasn't an article. It was an Instagram video or a reel. I think it's a 10-point bow. I didn't even bother to learn what it was, but it shot 510 feet a second. Raven has a bow that shoots over 400 feet a second, and they guarantee three-inch group at 100 yards. And, you know, the draw cycle, the, the limbs are eight inches wide. I mean, they look like an a, they're on an AR platform with variable scopes. I mean, so the technology has advanced so much to where that Excalibur I shot against back in the day, 12 years ago, was 31 inches wide, I remember. Now they're eight inches wide. I mean, wow. so we're now at some point I have to scratch my head and go, hold on a minute. Is this a bow and arrow as I know it? Now I know I have some people that say, well, if you're such a purist, why don't you shoot a recurve or a longbow? Well, I do, but I also shoot a vertical bow. You know, so some, some of all that stuff you know, has to be questioned. And then here's what I really, really, really fear because some people say, hey, mind your business, stay in your lane. Uh, the state agencies deem it legal. And as long as it's legal, I'm doing what I want. Well, the state agencies are there to sell a license. So if they, just because they deem it legal doesn't mean it shouldn't be questioned. And then if we're just going to issue tags and it's not affecting the harvest, then what is to stop the state agency to say in a state like Pennsylvania, hey, hunting season comes in on October 5th and goes out January 10th. You're, we're, you know, we, we control the population via tags. So instead of having all these confusing seasons like bow season, inline muzzleloader season, bow bear season, rifle bear season, the regular deer rifle season, and then the late flintlock season, instead of having all that, I'm going to issue your tags as a state agency and you shoot whatever you want. It is all legal now from October 5th to January 10th. Shoot what you bring type of deal. Well, now I bet that ruffles a lot of feathers if we were to <laughs> go there. And for you guys saying that'll never happen, don't say it'll never happen because I've hunted in plenty of states in the South. That is that exactly how it works. South Carolina, Georgia, season comes in. You can hunt with your rifle in August in, in, in I think it's South Carolina. So it can happen. And if, if, if hunting license keep decreasing in sales and the state agency's budgets are keep keeping to decrease with that, then it would only make sense that they start cutting overhead. And trust me, there's a lot of overhead when you have all these differentiating seasons, all these different seasons to manage. So I think it is very well within my rights to question if all this new technology in a crossbow belongs in bow season. Because if the technology keeps advancing, keep in mind, 12 years ago, they these bows were 300 feet a second and 30 inches wide. Now they're 500 feet a second and 8 inches wide. In the next 10 years, if they're 4 inches wide and shoot 1,000 feet a second and they can shoot 200 yards and it's deemed legal, legal by the state agency, oh, then we're supposed to just turn our heads? What would stop them from saying, hey, it's November 5th. Take your rifle out and hunt the rut. It, you know what? We don't care what you shoot. It's, it's all the same anymore. That, to me, I don't want to happen. I, I don't want to share the woods. If I'm hunting on one side of the hill and my neighbor John Brown's hunting on the other side of the hill and I'm standing there with my recurve or my compound in the tree stand, you know, hunting the magical you know, November rut, 
And John Brown over there is putting a deer drive on and shooting the deer 200 yards with a seven mag because technology has advanced so much that the muddies, the water has been so muddied, it doesn't matter to have specific seasons. Then that's what I'm afraid of. So that's why I think it needs questions. And yeah, I mean, yeah. I'll be off my soapbox. For, yeah, I was just gonna say <laughs> that was uh, uh, Ryan's soapbox moment for us all. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't have an issue with uh, crossbows at all. I don't have, you know, whatever you want to use, whatever. I know we could get into a whole nother sticky wicket with uh, what frustrates me is when I come up to Pennsylvania after Christmas, I can't use my line muzzleloader because I, right. you have to use a flintlock. Oh, that just drives me nuts. My question to you is why not just learn to use a flintlock? Like, oh, I'd be fine with that. I mean, yeah, I, I just got to go out there and buy another, you know, which I don't, I'm not opposed to. I got to buy a flintlock and I have no problem doing that, but I already have an inline. But they're not the uh, same. Like, I, I guess I, I mean, yeah, it's, I it's a great it's, topic, but I mean, right. it's, it's, it's it, it, like, it is a great topic. Cause I really, I don't, I don't know what to parallel that to. I don't know what to, you know, but the seed, the flintlock season, again, I'm a true blue. I love flintlock. I've been flintlock hunter since I was 12 years old. I would never want them to change that. And then when I hear, you know, like you say, Oh, great. You know, I can't use my inline. Well, we have an inline season in October, so use it then, right? If you're so passionate about your inline, I'm not pointing at you, but I'm just saying we already have an inline season, you know. Again, right, I I believe in Pennsylvania inline season is doe only. I'll have to check that out, but it is doe only. So yeah, that's another frustrating point, but I don't know. And then you get into the whole juniors youth day, youth weekend. Um, they can go out in October for a weekend, and and this is all specific to uh, Pennsylvania for our listeners there. Um, if your youth is out there and a buck walks by, guess what? In Pennsylvania, he can't pull that trigger on that buck. He's got to wait for doe only. So if you're trying to get, now I'm against that whole recruitment, R3, whatever, Bubba don't care about that. Um, if you're trying to do that, I think that's the wrong way to go about it. But I mean, yeah. See, I, I would yeah. argue that it doesn't, to a 12 year old kid, I know certainly me, it wouldn't have mattered at all. If you told, if you, when you turned me loose with a rifle and put it, I wanted to shoot a deer. It did not yeah. matter to me at whatsoever if it had an antler on its head or ears. Um, you know, and, and I, I get your argument. I do get your argument from that perspective. And I think I, when I had uh, Brian Burhands, the director of Pennsylvania Game Commission, on the, yeah, Brian you know, his, podcast, his main. We point was because people would have a chance at buck before they would, you know, the average hunter that and that only hunts gun season. Well, and, and season what you have to keep in mind with everything and that's in Pennsylvania, cool in my opinion. right? And when you keep, you have to keep in mind that everything in that's, Pennsylvania is the amount of license we sell, which right, it know, is, a, is way more than everybody else. So it's a right. little different machine, and I get their perspective. I mean. For the most part, you know, when you take those juniors out and if you're going to turn them loose on bucks, um, you know, it's a very small percentage of license sales. You know, let's be realistic. I don't even know what it is, but I, I can assure you it's a very small percentage of license sales. That would be those junior first time hunters hunting in October for a buck. And then you have the majority of the license sales, the majority of the money, you know, the the, the earners or the, the spenders, if you will, you know, they're going to get butt hurt. And I mean, so at some point you have to take those feelings into consideration because that those, those are the masses, you know? Yeah, I guess so. Right. Anyway, Matt Stutzman, anyway, one shooting, he won shooting his, um, 
<laughs> his vertical bow with his mouth and his foot. So that's how I started down that rabbit hole of the crossbows because, you know, back in the day before there was a crossbow season, you had to have a permit to use one. And it was if you had an, uh, you know, shoulder in injury or, you know, something like that. So, um, yeah, right. That, and there's uh, Matt Stutzman using a, uh, a regular vertical bow. Yeah. Regular uh, vertical bow with his foot and his mouth. This, so it's like, well, wow. well, he didn't need a crossbow. But yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> I shouldn't say that because there's plenty of people that do need them. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not calling anybody out. I'm just saying like that dude. Right. He's a, that's all about mindset. You know, he's just, oh, like, for sure. I'm just going to, I'm just going to use my, I'm just using it this way. Yeah. And not to be, uh, outdone but on the woman's side we had also had our first woman world para championship uh leah coriel right if i'm pronouncing that correctly but uh hey and you know we the united states was certainly representing on uh, the paralympics and archery for sure this year yeah and you know a good friend of mine uh that i've mentioned before it's going to you know he's he's agreed to come on the podcast anytime I, i've shot with him for years uh, he's a really good friend of mine, uh, KJ Polish, who is a para uh, a Paralympian archer. Um, he's paralyzed uh, from like the midsection down, and you can look him up, uh, KJ Polish um, Jr. Actually, and he does a lot of lot of Olympic style archery, and just amazing man out of a wheelchair. He just shot ASA fully last week. Was the first, or maybe two weeks ago at this point. Uh, was the first leg of the ASA shoot in uh, Archery Shooters Association in Foley, Alabama, and he has a uh, mechanic, uh, uh, a motorized wheelchair. It has it's like on tracks because the ASA wow. you shoot you know 3D style through the woods, and um, he can get around. And uh, you know he was down there and enjoying some good weather. And, and you know, again, Southwest PA boy uh, down there shooting in the pro class, and uh, you know shoots well, man. Uh, just I mean, it, I shot side by side with him for years, and uh, man, he is—he—he—he—he he, he, he just doesn't miss. <laughs> yeah, just the yeah. dedication. Yeah, yeah it's for just, what they're doing, let alone yeah. overcoming a, a handicap for that. So, yeah, good for them. Right. <clears throat> but you know, on a less serious side, you know, we have. Um, we, you actually stumbled upon this and I am still shaking my head, but it was a, it's a YouTube video of <laughs> a Bubba. <laughs> and so, yeah. So, uh, you know, there's this video, I'll put the link in uh, our info. There's no audio to it, but it is definitely worth a watch. It is just, uh, like a, what the is going on moment on that what one. What the heck? So here set the stage. So it's a, uh, dash cam from a, a police car dash cam video of uh, these officers that pulled over a suspected drunk driver. So the story here is um, a young woman driver had apparently hit a deer earlier and then thinking it was dead. Her male companion got out, placed this deer in the back. So of a car and the trunk where the uh, officers are not sure what they uh, plan to do with it. But however, they're, they, Continued down the road, and uh, the, the officers uh, suspected them of uh, drunk driving, pulled them over, went up, started talking to them, you know, uh, the typical stuff, and uh, realized that there was a deer in the back of their vehicle. So they uh, they uh, they asked the uh, the male gentleman to get out and, uh, you know, hey, I think you guys need to get that out, and once, especially once they realized it was alive. Uh, you know, Ryan, have you seen the Tommy Boy movie? 
uh, you know, immediately that would, would what comes to mind, right? Right. <laughs> you know, in this case, it was a doe. However, so you know, the guy gets back, he opens a trunk, and uh, and you have to watch this video. He kind of gets prepares himself, you know, and he reaches down to get something, and he picks up, and lo and behold, there he is. He's carrying a deer, and he walks across the road and lets it go. Yeah, so. it, it was like kicking <laughs> and, and squirming, and he, you know, just oh my it. goodness. There's just so many questions to that, uh, you know to ask with that. Like, what were you thinking? Uh, what were you going to do? Once they realized it was alive, they just kept driving down the road. Um, and because there's no audio, like, I wonder if they called the police themselves. Like, hey, we don't know what to do, but there's a deer in our trunk. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know. But anyway, check it out. For, and, oh, man. Uh, let us know what you think, but it's worth watching. Oh, for sure. Yeah time for a Bubba product highlight. So a Bubba product highlight. So I come across the, this, uh, if you've ever been fishing out in the water on a hot summer day, uh, the sun is out, uh, in a boat or anywhere. Um, the backs of my hands always get like, I always get sunburned there. never put anything on it and they, they just get burnt totally. So, uh, Welcome in fish monkey gloves. So these gloves are designed for fishing and uh, yeah, certainly. So the fingertips are cut off on it, comfortable gloves, all kind of different designs. And I think you can pick them up for somewhere around $30. Well worth it, I suppose. Right. Well, that leads right into Bubba's fishing hackle tech because this guy here, I was walking through Walmart the other day and I saw these, a pack of gloves look just like fish monkey gloves, but they were $4 for a pack of three. So what a tackle hack there. I got myself, hey, they're just as good as fish monkey gloves in my opinion. I cut the tips of them off and uh, they they have a nice color just like the fish monkey gloves. And, uh, you know, nothing against fish monkey. They got a good product. But, uh, hey, you know, this Bubba here went to the, the local Wally World there and uh, I made my fish monkey gloves. So another uh, fishing hack for this coming season. Right. Or you could get sunscreen. Or sunscreen, but uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, a good way to go about it too, I suppose. And you know, a lot of times it could, I don't know, get washed off or something. You got to reply it. That's very but, true. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, Bubba don't care. Right. You know, it's in the, you know fishing season's right around the corner here, in Pennsylvania. In a couple of years, you know, they have a youth season, which I take my kids. And uh, the last two, it was like snowing and blowing type of deal. And you want to wear gloves because it's cold outside wow. air temperature. And then when you're falling with fish, you end up getting them all wet and then you're cold all day. So um, it, that's one of those, you know, you got to manage your stuff really well there when it comes to early season trout fishing in Pennsylvania, because it can be really cold. And I know uh, I have a good friend up in upstate New York, their season comes in every year, same date, April 1st. I think it, it's April 1st, no matter what day it falls on type of deal. And, uh, He's in, in like Watertown, New York, so way up north. And they get hmm. really – I see some of his pictures, some really cold, nasty weather. And, you know, he's out there braving the elements. And, man, that's uh, that's a different level of dedication, you know, when you get uh, snowing and blowing and, you know, you're playing in water, you know. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> it's one thing to be snowing and blowing and you're, you're on top of the water, you know, i.e. the visa the 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 frozen ice type of deal that's one thing but uh you know fast moving water you know slipping around and i always end up falling in 
it's never fun <laughs> falling in on April 1st, let me tell you, because it's cold. Well, you know, we, we learned that when you're ice fishing, that can lead to other things that we never thought of. So very you got to watch out. You got to watch out for what yeah, that can lead to. Without uh, a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt, for sure. Yeah. So if you're just tuning in, go back and listen to the first episode. You'll know what uh, I'm talking about. Uh, there you go. Yep. <laughs> You'll be filled right in. Yeah. So the Bassmaster Classic just wrapped up, I guess, in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, which uh, is, uh, to your words, um, like the Super Bowl of bass fishing. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, they really put on a, a show there, especially for the final weigh-in. It's inside a stadium, the way they come in there. Um, you know, it, it, and it's fun to watch, too. My wife says it's like watching paint dry. I find it enjoyable. Unfortunately, I was not able to watch any this weekend except for the final weigh-in. But, uh, you know, that was still uh, still fun to watch. And um, see, so uh, the winner this year is Christy. He pulled it out there at the end. Um, you know, so... Uh, a Bubba shout out to Christy for pulling out the Bassmaster Classic this year. And, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it'd be neat to go to sometime, Ryan. I'd like to go there. My wife won't go because it's like watching paint dry, but yeah, I think it'd be fun. I think I'm going to hang out with your wife. Yeah, there you go. You guys can golf or something, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll go over and uh, have a beer and watch the uh, final weigh-in at the Bassmaster yeah, Classic I can next year. Into that. Yeah, when, yeah. Well, once you mentioned beer, yeah, I can handle. Oh, there you go. I had you at beer. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, nice. You know, it, it just it spurred a couple. Of, you know, I, I searched Outdoor Wire, at least subscribed to it, and I remember maybe a year or so ago that there was a cup pair of guys. I would say maybe they were even related, but anyway, they were partners on that bass fishing tour type of deal. And, uh, man, they come under fire for cheating. It turned out like they were, they were like storing fish, like underneath logs, like that, you know, like they'd go out and catch them beforehand and then hook them to a stringer type of deal and certain little coves. And, um, they end up getting busted. I'm paraphrasing or maybe making most of this up, but, uh, I do know that there was a pair of guys that got busted for cheating in those style tournaments because the payouts were so high. Oh and yeah. Anytime when the payouts get high, you end up, you know, cheating or trying to figure out a way to put the odds into your favor. So got to be careful. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, Bubba on deck for Bubba. I know, you know, we mentioned before we're approaching, uh, turkey season here and, uh, you know, Ryan, we, we just had, uh, the, the wild turkey doc, Dr. Michael Chamberlain on the, uh, the RFP and that episode will be dropped here. It'll be out there. So go definitely go check that out. That, yeah. that was a good, good episode. Good, solid knowledge from, uh, from the turkey doc. Um, a good, a good episode. Yeah. If you, if you guys don't uh, follow, I know most of our listeners are on social media. He's the wild turkey doc on Facebook and Instagram. And he has every Tuesday, he drops what he calls Turkey Tuesday. So it's just basically, you know, he drops his turkey knowledge on Tuesday. And it is not like, hey, you know, in the spring, turkeys gobble. Uh, and then, you know, the, the toms breed the hens. It's like this stuff that you, <laughs> you would not even imagine. Like, do you know why? You know, and then he goes into why a turkey can see 13 different shades of whatever color, you know, like, I mean, amazing stuff and we even mentioned in the intro of the ryan fear podcast of the turkey doc that you know you may think oh, i'm just a turkey hunter i don't need to know that and yeah that's probably true but when you start realizing at the level that some of the research that doc and his students are doing is allowing you to be a turkey hunter and how important it is for turkey research and hunting seasons and regulations 
et cetera, et cetera. So when you think of it from that perspective, it definitely becomes interesting or more interesting. So yeah, give it a listen and follow Turkey Doc and listen to all the stuff he's saying, because if you're just a turkey hunter, you should be very grateful that somebody out there is doing the work that he's doing. Like it just boggled my mind that they're pulling DNA from the membrane of eggs in nest, you know, the live eggs. They don't have to have like the shell. It's just the, 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 the thin coating, the membrane, they can pull DNA from that. And he told us what he's awaiting the results of a thousand different eggs. Yeah. I believe it was. Results. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. you know, which just going to help him, you know, now you as a turkey hunter, Bubba the turkey hunter, he's not interested in what those results say, but he's certainly going to be interested if it affects his hunting season or it helps figure out why the turkeys have been on a 10 year nationwide decline. There's less and less, there's less turkeys on landscape now than there were 10 years ago. So it's certainly going to help from that perspective. So give doc a listen. Yeah, absolutely. And there's even, you know, even give some tips for the average hunter uh, near the end of that episode. Yeah, right. So yeah, it was just good stuff all around. So, all right, you got any uh, final shots or one more cast, Ryan? No, I think I've probably uh, said way too you, much. You were on your soapbox at least once here, so that was the first time you jumped on your soapbox for Bubba. Yeah, um, I've so, got a lot uh, of soapboxes to jump on. So, yeah, so if you have any feedback on uh, Ryan's soapbox episode there, hey, remember, leave us your feedback, like we said at the beginning. Uh, send us a voice message, uh, you know, Instagram, Bubba the Hunter podcast. Uh, the email Bubba at Bubba the Hunter.com and go out to anchor. I'll put the link out there and leave us a voice message. And, uh, you know, again, Hey, a good shout out to, uh, some of those Bubba's out there, even in Germany. So, Hey, leave us a message. That would be great. Absolutely. So, Thank all right, you. Bubba's till next time. Peace.